How does a child cultivate an understanding of humanity? How do they learn kindness, empathy, and respect for others? Every individual must learn what it means to be human. Early childhood is when this learning begins. What matters most for children is how we are with them. Regardless of your role in a child's life, you help them learn to trust, explore, develop, and learn. How you choose to be when you're around children, both your actions and your words serve as a model for how to be in the world. You consistently send messages that shape how children see themselves, others, and the process of learning. Children are watching us. They are following their leaders. I'm Judy Jablon, founder and executive director of Leading for Children. At Leading for Children, we bring together all the adults who care for and educate young children to ensure children's success now and in the future. For children, every moment counts. Today, let's focus our conversation on Leading for Children's Humanity First model. My podcast partner, Nicole Parks, is here along with our dear colleague, Lee Sargent. Nicole? Hello, Judy, and everyone out there listening. My name is Nicole Parks, and I am the Deputy Executive Director at Leading for Children, and I'm happy to be here today. And Lee, I'll pass it to you. Thank you, Nicole. My name is Lee Sargent, and I'm the Executive Director for Tallahatchie Early Learning Alliance in the Mississippi Delta. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. It's so great to have an opportunity to have a conversation with you, Nicole and Lee. Let's talk about why Leading for Children has as its model humanity first, and then why the model matters so much for children. I'll start us off. So Leading for Children's humanity first model is rooted in our shared conviction that each person's dignity is fundamental. At LFC, we put people first. We believe that treating each other with dignity and respect is an imperative. Children are curious observers and whether we're aware of it or not, they see us. Not what we say, but what we do. As we model kindness, empathy, and compassion for one another or not, they're watching. They're watching how we listen to each other how we show up as our best selves. They're learning these skills from observing. And yet, look around. We, the adults in children's lives, are rushing all over the place. We're multitasking, we're leading hectic lives, and we continue to slide further away from each other. Our behaviors are not always the best models for children. They witness us failing to listen and talk with each other, failing to treat each other respectfully. Respectfully and with dignity, that's what each of us deserves. So let's talk. What resonates with you about the humanity first model? Nicole, can I pass to you? Yes, Judy. Really, when I think about our leading for children model, it is really our humanity first and building strong communities. And it's the idea that building these communities doesn't take a lot of money and it doesn't take a lot of things. Um, However, it does mean that we have to each be willing to play a part in breaking down traditional power structures and really solving the systemic problems in early learning. And that means we have to harness our internal courage and we have to be willing to learn a new set of skills. And so that requires boldness and being able to stand up for what we believe in, for what is really just fair and right. In order to do that, it means owning that we are models for children. They are watching us and they're seeing us. And so we have to find these new ways of collaborating and listening to each other and really responding to each other's humanity. And so strong communities are equitable and they're inclusive, but they don't just happen. They really begin with us. And so each one of us has to own that. Thanks for that, Nicole. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, you're both a mom, grandma, an incredible educator, you know, my collaborator in this organization. And I feel like 
you know, we have talked so much about how you live humanity. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to you in your life? For me, it really means, first of all, deciding who I want to be, because ultimately that's where it starts. Who do I want to be and how do I want to show up in the world? It's really not about the fancy words that I say. It is really what I'm doing when nobody's watching or when nobody will know. And so for me, it is recognizing that every single person is worthy of dignity and respect. And so that means speaking to people who normally others may walk by. That means taking time to find out the name of the homeless gentleman on the street and getting to know his story. And that means speaking to everyone that I pass by. That means treating everybody the same, no matter their title or their role, no matter the color of their skin or their gender, no matter their religious belief. It means that I have to wake up each day and I have to choose to see each person as a human. And when I don't do that, I also have to be the first person that challenge myself and to say, get over yourself because they are a human just like you. And so I think for me, it it all boils down to we are human, period. And each day, that's what I try to live. I think what you described is, is how humanity is like a moral compass. And so as you're a model for children or for me or for anyone, we see you live humanity first. And so you create that spirit around you. Lee, talk about what humanity first means for you. You know, again, as a mom, as a family member, as an educator. Yeah. Thank you, Judy. I, um, look at it as leaving a legacy, something uh, for my children to see as an example of the way I talk to people, the way I treat them, the way I respond, knowing the homeless person on the street's name, like Nicole said, we um, started doing something where we packaged uh, bags for homeless people around the city. And so when we drive in a car, when we go places, we find opportunities if we see homeless people on the street to give them a bag of goodies. I had uh, one person get a bag and they said, oh, a bag of goodies. And to see my nine-year-old face light up when he sees someone that he can pass the bag to. He told me recently, he said, mom, you need to get some more bags. And I said, yeah, we do need to put some bags together. At first, we thought we had too many but we realized we didn't. So we have to go back and get some more bags. But I think it's about a legacy of caring, a legacy of allowing people to make mistakes, giving people an opportunity in the space that they need to be who they are. But for me, I feel like being human and showing up in the right way is just about leaving that legacy. You know, Lee, this morning, Uh, Nicole and I were talking and I was telling her about a time that we were actually in Mississippi together. We were in in the um, hotel that we stayed in in Ridgeland and Nicole started a conversation with the lady at the desk. And I was so sure she had known this woman for like years. And, you know, I thought, well, what a funny coincidence that Nicole like knows this woman because Nicole lives in Arkansas, not in Mississippi. And later I said to Nicole, that was such a wonderful conversation, you know, to witness. And Nicole said, yeah, last night she was on duty when I came in and she was so kind to me. And, you know, your story about Jace and about the bags, it's that ripple. It's like, you know, I saw Nicole that day and I got to ended up getting to know everybody in that hotel. And I also told Nicole, I, I know that I was kind and nice to people who worked in, you know, other service providers. But that day, something changed in me. And I go, I wouldn't say I go an extra step. It's that I get so much pleasure getting to know the people around me. And it gives me joy to 
smile and to say hello to the person in the grocery store and to talk to the person on the street or, you know, there's a woman who I give coffee to whenever I go into the coffee store and she's sitting outside and it does, it fills my heart. And I think that children see us having our heart filled and it fills their heart. And that's, I think, what it means to sort of spread humanity. So I think we're also talking a little bit about how do we spread this idea of humanity in the work that we do? Yeah, as as I think about that, Judy, I think, again, so much of it is about the intent behind it. I, I was laughing and talking with someone yesterday. She made a comment and she said, even when you're upset, you're kind. How do you do that? And I started to laugh and I said, well, the first thing you should know is I do work from the principle of grace and space. I said, but what you really should know is every time you hear me respond with a kind word, when someone is not necessarily being kind to me, you just have to know that I've already filtered through probably two or three responses in my head that wasn't. I said, so it's not that I walk around and I'm the kindest person on earth. I am very intentional in my response. And I think even in the work, um, one thing I always try to do, and that was passed down to me from my grandmother, is even in this work, when I talk with people, I really try to convey to them that I see them. And so in the work, I always hold on to the idea that systems are made up of people and you can't talk about systems without talking about people. I think about this work that we do on behalf of children and that we can't do the work with the adults in children's lives as a way to get to the children. We have to do this work with the adults in children's lives and really see them for who they are and appreciate their wisdom and knowledge. And that when we do it that way, they ripple that to the children. So I, I think that's a long way of saying in the work, it matters how we treat people, not just the work in, in quotations that we're doing with people. And I think that's one of the main ways that we spread this work, this message, if you would, of humanity first. Lee, I can see you're you're thinking, go for it. Well, in, in this work in the Mississippi Delta, people basically know by my accent that I'm not from Mississippi. And so I'm not from the Delta area. But I always tell the members of that community that that's home for me because that's where the work is being done with the organization. And so I do take it very serious that their voices are heard. And I take it serious that they're not only are the voices heard, but their voices matter. So many times in organizations, when we're trying to figure out how we're going to do things for children and what impact we want, it's always sometimes the administration or the the leader that wants to impose the change or and not consider the community. And so when we gather and we talk and we're trying to make decisions about things, the first thing we ask is, these are the ideas that we have. What do you think? And how can this happen? How can we go about doing this? And it's interesting what happens when we let go and we allow the community to make the change. We allow the community to make the impact. And I think that's about legacy as well. You know, you you're what you want to do is leave a legacy of community members making an impact on behalf of the children and being respectful of that, of their need. And letting them know that we're here to listen to see how we can make this better for children. And that's important, you know, as an executive director, that's very important that the voices 
are in all the decision making. And it's not just one person or two people or three people. Every voice, every opinion matters um, to the work that we do, especially when it comes to our younger children in a community, because they're going to be where we are right now. They're going to be the ones that's leading that community. And we want to make sure that the adults that are surrounding them now show them how to do that. But it happens from us. It happens from the top. If we go in with the humanity first, if we go in with the caring spirit, it will trickle down to them because they will see how we are responding to them and then how they respond to the children. Um, so, yeah. So I'm I'm gonna I'm going to do a little uh, linking. Um, Nicole, you talked about intention. You know, like what's my intent here, and what do I want to have happen? And Lee, you talked about you know being an example. How you respond is an example, and use the word. What's the legacy? What's the model that you know I'm leaving? And I, I think about how many people say, you know, I, I don't have time. <laughs> you know, we're so, ru we're rushing. And the thing about not taking the time to be kind is that it uses up so much, you know, like not being kind is exhausting. And you're in a culture, in, a, in an environment of a kind of tension and hostility, which is draining. And I think that what, too many people, myself included at the, at the, you know, in some situations is we don't realize how our actions are affecting the chemistry, the, in, the mood of the environment. And so if Nicole chooses to filter out those negative responses and chooses a kinder response, there's more of a chance that the next thing that happens won't escalate to more negativity or more stress or more, you know, more stress, more tension. When you described Jay saying, you know, let's make more bags, you know, that creates more closeness in your family, more connectivity, more sense of shared purpose. Lee, when you were talking about, you know, people want to be seen, well, our kids want to be seen, you know, the children in our families want to be seen. And so, you know, can we say, well, here are some ideas we have for, you know, what to do or what we're going to eat this week or whatever it is, and just be more inclusive. It's more kind. And then there's less resistance because it's more collaborative. And I think that it takes more intention, that filtering that you described or that planning for how, but the benefits are so great and children benefit, and I think we do too. So I'm curious if anyone wants to add. When children are part of the process, that tells them that they matter too. You know, um, I can't tell you how different I see my nine-year-old than I do my soon-to-be 21-year-old. I was a different parent. 21 years ago than I am now. Uh, I Like my mom said, I think I use up all my good stuff. But even with that, I am trying my hardest to be intentional with what I am doing. This morning, Jay said, I don't want apple juice. I want milk. I said, well, son, we don't have that much milk. I think we only had maybe like a half a cup of milk. And I thought that it was not enough because he loves milk. Well, I poured it in a glass and he says, oh, that's plenty. And so allowing not allowing him to choose what he wants to drink in the morning may seem like something very small, but that's very big because then I would have had to fight him on drinking apple juice this morning or he would have only taken a sip and then threw it away. And then that would have been kind of wasteful. But he had just exactly what he needed um, and what he wanted. And so I asked questions. What do you, you know, what do you want to eat when we have maybe four or five different things on a plate for dinner? Do you want the chicken and the rice or do you want just the chicken? 
because you're sitting here before items on your plate, you probably don't want the rice. So why make a mountain out of a mohill when you just want the chicken? You're getting protein, you're still eating. And so I think that also develops character when the children are able to make choices. You know, you think about centers in the classroom. You know, there is an opportunity for children to choose which center they want to go to. There are opportunities for our children to always um, express the way that they feel. But we have to create the space like Nicole says. You know, we have to create that space for our children to be able to have the comfortability of wanting to share and wanting to have those conversations. If we are fussing about you only eating the chicken and I put three other things on your plate, they're not going to come talk to you later about something that happened at school. That might seem like it's unrelatable, but it is because it's the reaction, it's the response that I gave my child over a dinner plate, but there is something serious at school that's happening that they don't want to come talk to me about because my response and my reaction is not always great. So, and I've had my 20 year old, soon to be 21 year old, tell me that. And so having to go back and change some of those things, you know, you can't get time back. You know, you can try to do your best to do it differently, but I am now responding in a way where he is wanting to talk and I'm not always making a mountain out of mohill. So I, I think that our children's voices do matter. At the end of the day, they do. And I think they will make for healthier children and happier children if we just kind of let the reins go, right? And just let them be who they are. I think that what you just said, and I know um, it's sometimes hard for everyone to understand this. It took me years and years and I still don't, I don't necessarily practice it every minute, but I do understand it philosophically that when children don't behave well, there's a reason. And they're usually emulating some version of our bad behavior. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, when you describe dinner and making sure Jace has a choice, he goes to sleep without being upset as opposed to, well, you can go to your room without dinner then, you know, so now we've got an unhappy kid who goes to sleep unhappy and gets up in the morning unhappy. And then you argue with him about the juice versus the milk. And so now that unhappy is escalating and he goes to school and he gets in trouble or she gets in trouble. And, you know, I, I was that kid. Um, and I think that the subtle things that we're describing about how we can be to create an environment where we see each other, we respect each other's perspectives, we see the value of choices. Those are the kinds of behaviors that are respectful of people's dignity and humanity and if children are living in that environment, they copy it. Yeah, that's that's so true. Thinking to and listening to you, you Lee, and to you, Judy, it it just reaffirms for me the importance of children and adults having that experience where not only are their voices heard, but the essence of who they are is embraced. And so I've I've learned along the way and shifted my own beliefs from I should accept everyone to I should embrace everyone because accepting means that I still decide your worth or your value. But when I embrace, I simply wrap my arms around all of who you are. And I can remember something that my grandmother used to tell me she used to say, you are the gift that you give to the world. You know, we we grew up poor and we didn't have a have a lot. And oftentimes I would I would just wonder, like, what so-and-so has this. I don't have anything. What do I have? And she helped me to realize that you you are the gift 
to the world. The way you show up is a gift or it can be a gift to the world. And I think about who I might've been if I had not been embraced for who I was. And I try to, notice the word try, I try to offer that gift to others, especially children, because I I was sassy. No surprise there. And I remember when, when you talked about dinner, I was and still am a very picky eater. And so I didn't want to eat something. And oftentimes I would go to bed hungry. You know, it was like, if you don't want this, you don't eat. And my brother was kind and he would, you know, try to sneak me something like bologna or something. But anyways, I remember my mom's statement would always be, do you know how many children are starving in Africa? And I remember one day having heard this too many times, really saying to her, well, if you care about those children so much, maybe you should go to Africa. Now, that was disrespectful. But what I was trying to say to her was, you care more about the children you don't know than you care about me. Whether I want to eat this or not, I don't want to eat this. Um, This is my pet that I played with in the pen. So no, I don't want to turn around and eat him, but you care more about these children that you don't know. And, but I didn't know how to say that. And so I think about children, the messages that we unintentionally send to them when we don't stop and have that intention that you described at dinner with Chase, talking with Chase, talking with your older son. Now, I think about the messages that we teach and we send and how the ripple of that. So just like there's impact for kindness and embracing others, there's impact for taking away voices and taking away choices too. Yeah, that's good, Nicole. That That is. Um, my husband and I were talking how the generation of children that we have now that are in college, we find that it's difficult for them to make certain decisions. And why is that? Because when they were growing up, what did we do? We stepped in and we helped. And we never gave them an opportunity to fight for themselves, to fend for themselves. And so I was having a conversation with him about one of our boys that's in college. He's going to be a junior this year. And he started out in an architecture program. So he had to go to this two-week program. And we thought this was before the the fall semester started. And so we just thought that he was just going to have, you know, a great time at the at the uh, camp. And I was looking forward to picking him up. But when we got there, he had this look on his face like he was not happy. So we go through the the art room. uh, They call it the studio. And we start seeing different things They start talking he starts talking to us about his design and all of that. And I asked him, I said, Jahari, what is wrong? And he just looked at me, he kept shaking his head. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, that kid stole my design. He stole my design. He stole my idea. And my heart just, just, right? Well, in that moment, I realized that for the two weeks, he had to go and recreate something else. He had to go along with this camp with another child who took his idea and made it, I guess, bigger and better. He tried to take his original design to make something of it. So what I was telling my husband was, we couldn't no longer go to the school, call the professor and say, hey, this child stole my child's idea. Now, had he been in middle school, elementary school, college, we could have picked up the phone, made an appointment with the principal and the teacher, and we would have done that. But now he's not able to do that. He's not able to defend for himself because we stepped in. So being human is about teaching our children 
how the world works, but what do you do when you're faced with adversity? Not come in and say, let me handle this for you. So now they're having some difficulties of handling things themselves because we thought, you know, we were being great parents by stepping in and interceding, which we should have maybe chosen a different route and say, hey, this is what you do. And this is how you handle this. You know, when we handle it, we just have the conference go home and not much is really talked about. So now my nine-year-old has some adversities. So instead of me trying to step in every time, I'm trying to teach him how to deal with the adversity so that when he gets to that age in college, he will be able to do that. And he won't be like my 20 year old, like, I don't know what to do. I mean, he was so, he was so disappointed and you can just tell that he could not give his project all his all because his whole concept was somewhere else. And then the, the child won first place. Mm. That's a heartbreaker. You know, the thing is, I think we we want to convey that humanity is about dignity and respect. It's also about knowing how to deal with challenges, knowing how to be resilient, knowing how to pick up the pieces, know how to knowing how to say to another person, hey, wait a second. You know, and I think we've talked a lot about, you know, being models for children. And it, it makes me think about how we, at Leading for Children, you know, we, we talk about what leadership means. It doesn't mean being the boss. It doesn't mean that you're like top dog. It means you own the impact you have. So if, and I'm thinking so much of you here, Nicole, and how you, you know, you talk with Gracie and you sort of support Gracie in thinking through things so much connected to what, you know, Lee is talking about because we want kids to be leaders and we want kids to understand the difference between being a leader and being a bully or having the power to exercise your voice as opposed to seeing power as a way to squish somebody else. So I'd like to move us to, to stay with what we're talking about in terms of, you know, how do we support our children in cultivating a sense of humanity? How do we model humanity? Let's also incorporate the idea that, you know, stronger adults make stronger children and that being stronger is about being intentional. So Nicole, I, I, um, I can see you going. Yeah. So I, I think, I think about myself first, I, I, you know, because I'm my own best resource as far as that's what I know. Anything I say about others is an observation at best and a judgment at worst, right? So I had my, my first child, I was young and I was still a child myself. And so I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't understand that the more resilient I was, the more steady I was, the better I could show up, not just for, I had this concept of showing up as a mom for children. I hadn't yet figured out that I also need to show up with. And that's the beauty of learning and growing. So with Gracie, I am really mindful that in order for me to tru truly show up with her, I have to be steady myself. I have to be resilient myself. I have to be able to emulate all the things that I expect her to be able to do and the human that I hope that she is and continue to become. And so I think about the words that I say, I think about the space that I hold. And I think one of the greatest compliment I've ever received um, as a parent was actually when a, a teacher called and um, shared that they had these agreements of kindness that they had to sign and then they put them on the wall. And so Gracie wrote a note on hers and said, I don't want to sign this. 
And so the teacher said, why? And she said, because not everybody is kind and not everybody is kind to me. And if it's an agreement, then we all have to be kind. So the teacher called me and basically said, she is being a little disrespectful here. Um, and she's questioning my authority. And so I said, hmm, I'm very proud of her for being able to say what she was feeling and what she was thinking. I said, and it sounds like she really understands what the, what an agreement is. I said, so I wonder if perhaps you want to go back and say to her, what would help you to feel like this is a class that you are willing to sign this agreement because you feel that you're being kind to others and others are being kind to you. And when Gracie came home, we had a conversation about it. I said, did you sign the agreement? And she said, yes, ma'am, I did. And I said, okay. I said, well, tell me about your choice. And so she said, well, we talked about it and we thought about how, how, we can determine if someone is being kind and if they're not and my responsibility in that. And I said, okay, great. And so she said, why didn't you make me sign? And I said, because it was your choice. I said, it was your choice to sign. I said, and it's also your responsibility to be able to speak up and to say here's my experience and here's what I need. I said, and it is my job to support you in doing that. I said, and it's your responsibility though. I said, you're in, you know, you're of an age now where it's your responsibility. And so when I walked away from that and I, I shared it with someone else and they said, oh, I would have made my child sign right then and there. And I said, well, why? And they said, because they need to learn how to obey, you know, the adults. And I said, well, what society is it when we teach our children to obey? Because the thing is, then all of a sudden they become 18 and we're saying, you need to make your own choices. You need to be a leader and not a follower. You know, you need to be a positive contributor to society. And what I learned between my older set of children and having the privilege of now, you know, thankfully they turned out great. Um, and now having this privilege to raise this amazing young lady is I get to hold space for her to be who she is. And I get to embrace that. And I get to support her in owning though, you're responsible for how you show up in the world, Gracie. And if you show up and you're mean, then you have to own that you were mean to someone and it's your responsibility to make that right. And I also want you to think about it. Do you want your actions repeatedly to then paint a picture where you become the mean girl? And so we just have a rule in my house about mean girls and it is you're not allowed to be one and it is your responsibility to say when someone is being one to you. So you can't be a mean girl and it is your responsibility to say something if there are mean girls, you know, that are challenging you. Um, because I think that's the biggest thing about humanity is choice. And when we take away choices from children in the guise of protecting them, which we should protect children, but when we take their choices away because I'm the adult and I said so, I'm the adult, I have the power, I have the authority, we do them and ourselves a huge, a huge misfortune. And so I, I think that's what I've really learned about being a parent and humanity first and really understanding that humanity is so much about being respected and it is so much about being embraced for who you are. And humanity is also owning that you have a responsibility to. It's such a privilege to listen to the two of you. It, there's also sort of an unexpected irony that both of you have you know, the opportunity to have children who are, have a gap, you know, and so you can sort of look back and have some opportunity to do things with more intention. Listening to both of you, there's a theme. Neither of you are saying it's laissez-faire. Neither of you are saying, you know, you're relinquishing your responsibility. What you're describing 
is supporting children in cultivating a sense of their own agency, their own sense of power. And, and, and you're talking about careful choices and thoughtful choices. And in the case of the teacher who wanted Gracie to sign and the parent who said, you didn't, I would have made my child obey. I thought that in your story, you modeled so exquisitely how to partner with that teacher to say, here's the next step that she actually took, you know, and and that it came to a better resolution for everyone. And sometimes, Nicole, when you and I talk, I think to myself, how did, did our mothers go to the same like mother school? Because, you know, and my mom also, we had, you know, not only did I have to eat it or go to sleep hungry, but my dad, it was on the table the next morning for breakfast. And and it did feel often, you know, I, I recognize the privileges that I had, but I it was a ridiculously strict home. And who I've chosen to be as an adult is in reaction to a lot of what I grew up with. And I learned a lot from being a teacher and having mentors who said, don't back children into corners. The only person who loses is you. And, you know, it is tempting sometimes to use the authority that you have with a loud voice or the size of your body or, you know, well, because I said so. And, you know, I remember with nieces when they were little and nephews, there were times that I had to say, well, because I'm the adult and I have to keep you safe, you know, but I just think that we sometimes stop the conversation, not just with kids, but also like with our spouses, with family members, where and you talk about this, we talk about it together, the need to be right is so strong and it like takes us over as opposed to being curious. And what you did with that teacher was undid the issue of right and wrong and interjected curiosity so that the outcome was better for both. And I think about how often children see us in conflict with a spouse or with a sibling, you know, a peer. And that's what they're seeing. They're not seeing us coming to resolution or us being kind necessarily to find a better pathway. So I think there's so many lessons in this kind in this conversation about intention and kindness and humanity and modeling. Lee, are you thinking something you'd like to share? Because I I would be if I were in your shoes. I can see it on your face. Just had a different, not a different, but just had many different scenarios just run through my head as Nicole was speaking and as you were speaking. You know about that. Jace has a lot of questions. He asks a lot of questions. He always asks why, and I've learned. Uh, with working with leading for children, it's about curiosity. They're curious. So what I laughed about last night, Jace, we were watching Celebrity Wheel of Fortune. He loves Wheel of Fortune. He loves Wheel of Fortune. And he was asking all of these questions about why they're doing this. What does that mean? And I looked at him and he could tell that I was saying, I was about to say, Jace, what's up with all these questions? And he says, mom, remember questions are important. And I say, yeah, I said, you're just, I said, you're curious and I love it. But what was so ironic about that was when I was going through the process of being a part of this sorority at the end, they had to give us names based on what we did you know, during our time. And we were the uh, Zeta angels. And my name was the curious angel. And it was, I can't remember what language it, it was, but it was different languages. We all had different languages 
for the angel name. So I was the angel of curiosity. And I just laughed. And that came up to mind because I probably was just as curious when I was in college as my nine-year-old is now. And so I don't anymore say those phrases because I'm adult, because I say so. I Instead, I'm like Judy and say, well, I'm, mom is having to make this decision because I'm trying to keep you safe right now. And this is not safe. So I need you to do this so that I can keep you safe. I think if we choose how we, what we say that will make sense for them to understand, they will understand, not just because I'm an adult and I say so. There is a reason why we do things. There is a reason why we tell our children what we tell them. And it's okay to tell them why we're telling them that. You know, I took them swimming on uh, Monday and I kept telling them, do not run. I said, do not run. I said, if you run and you fall, you can slip on the concrete or at the edge of the pool these things, I started listing everything that can happen if you run and you slip out here. I said, even though it's concrete, this area is very slippy. And so explaining that, I think, resonated with him more because I don't think he wants to slip and hurt himself. Because I said, if you slip and hurt yourself, that means we're going to have to come out the pool and you're not going to be able to swim. It's not that I'm being, you know, me, mom, and I don't want you to have fun. I'm I'm trying to protect you. But at the same time, I had to explain to you why I'm trying to protect you and why I'm trying to keep you safe. And one other thing I wanted to add on to what Nicole was talking about, about changing who she is um, as a parent about showing up. I had to go through the same transformation, Nicole, you know, in my upbringing, I was raised one way and I tried to instill that upbringing on my 20 year old and it didn't work out too well. So I had to choose to do things differently. And I had to choose to show up differently that would make an impact because I had to own it. I had to own what was going on. And I had to say, I don't want this little person here to have the same thing because then you're carrying on a legacy that's just the same old, same old, same old repeating itself. I wanted him to have a legacy that was worth holding on to that he would be proud of. And so going back to what Nicole's saying, that's about being human. It's about owning your mistakes and but intentionally making those decisions so that you can pour um, positive impact into those children. Because like I said earlier, they're our future. And if we want to change the outcome of what happens in the world, we're going to have to start pouring into some positivity and some humanity um, into our children. And so I just wanted to uh, to say that about Nicole, about changing the inside, because that is so important, not as just a mother, not just as a grandmother, but it's important as a leader um, of an organization, Judy said that leaders own their impact and being a leader in a nonprofit space, I have to own that. And so I had to do some digging about what's happening here because I need to show up with my team members. I have to show up with my children, I have to show up with my husband. And so showing up is so important when it comes to being human. That was beautiful, Lee. Thank you so much for that. And it's also a, a lovely place for us to sort of wind down because I think it is all about showing up. And I love that you mentioned, you know, all the different people we have to show up for. I was thinking about, you know, kind of what we've talked about over the last 45 minutes. And Nicole said it takes intention for us to be kind. We also said kindness gives us energy. <laughs> you know, it creates a, a more harmonious environment. And we know that kindness that I show ripples to the next person, to the next person. And so while we're focused 
on making a better world for our children. We can't forget that we're making a better world for ourselves. And that, you know, we always say humanity starts with each one of us. I think in today's conversation, we really talked about, you know, the teacher, the parent, the the organizational leader, the, you know, all the different roles. And, and we mentioned, you know, the people in the community that we interact with and that children interact with. And, you know, we talk about that at Leading for Children is that that it's our ecosystem, it's it's who surrounds us. And so we kind of can't wait for other people to do it. We, we just have to take that step. And that's such a big part of our work. We hope that over the next year, we'll keep talking about humanity and humanity first, leading for children's model. And uh, Nicole, I'm gonna invite you to bring us to a close. Thank you, Judy and Lee. Thank you again for being here with us today. And to everyone who's out there listening, thank you for joining us. And we hope that you will stay connected. Maybe come check us out on our website, leadingforchildren.org. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram. And we just want to continue to connect and to show up with and for each other in ways in which we want each other to be able to show up with and for children. So we wish you a good rest of whatever day you're on as you listen to this. And remember to go out there and sprinkle a little kindness because it's free.